Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another edition of Cast Iron. We've been on a bit of a break because um, I dropped a clanger and accidentally deleted everything in my audio folder. So, yeah, welcome back. This is going to be a double double episode. It's not going to so, be a uh, dull uh, episode. Uh, it's going to be an awesome episode. <laughs> It's it, well, yeah. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be a different uh, a sort of a um, layout as to what we're normally used to. So, um, yeah, we've established our previous method of going through an album track by track, but this time we're gonna we're gonna take a little retrospective look about what we had recorded prior as two separate long episodes, and uh, sort of condense them down into a little bit more of a retrospective look at what we were talking about. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, this is going to be a little bit more casual as things go. Um, and we're also dealing with a double whammy of Japanese bands. So, um, to kick things off, we are dealing with Deer and Grey's Ouroboros. First of all, uh, you need to tell people who you are. Indeed, <laughs> I should do that. <laughs> they might not know. They might not know. Um, I am Lewis Clark. I run a website called UK Scum Scene, and I write about rock and metal. Um, I'm considerably less metal-looking at the moment because over, uh, yeah, over the time since we've been away, I've decided to lop off all my hair, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, which uh, is a bit of a. It, it's more of a circumstance than a than a than a choice. Because um, yeah, I'm I'm currently job seeking, so I kind of wanted to look a little bit smarter. That's, that's fair enough. So uh, yeah. Um. And I go. am Alan Williamson. <laughs> I'm the editor-in-chief of the video game culture magazine 5 out of 10. And I get last got my hair cut extremely short uh, when I was about 20 years old. Uh, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll look better for it, honestly. <laughs> you, might, you might have... I, mean, I know now it feels like you've lost a limb. <laughs> and okay, you've, you've made a bit of wig money. But, um, you know, uh, uh, out of um, me and my three brothers, uh, three of us had long hair at one point, and there's only one holdout, and... Uh, He's probably listening to this, so Paul, it's time to get a haircut. Even, <laughs> even Lewis got a haircut. He's a, he's a respectable human again. Well, you know, I'm st- I'm, I'm I am um, regretting it a little bit, but there you go. Um, it's just that's what five years of hair growth does. You suppose you get used to it a little bit. Don't well, you? speaking of Duran Gray, um, when I went to the Duran Gray gig, uh, you could headbang and I couldn't because I don't have the hair for it anymore. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I did indeed. Um, did I annoy no. you? Did I whip you? No, with- you, you, didn't, you didn't do what my mate Kev always used to do in the, the Rock Bar Opium in Edinburgh and uh, whip Jack Daniels and Coke into my face. No. Um, but uh, yeah, it's just not the same having short hair going to metal gigs anymore. You just end up like one of those drinking birds bobbing back and forth, yeah, getting well. a sore neck. It's easier to give yourself a bit of whiplash when you don't have the give of the hair to sort of. Uh... <laughs> That's why you have it. It's for practical safety reasons. Oh, Absolutely. yeah, completely. 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 Anyway, let's stop talking about hair and let's talk about Deer and Grey. Because uh, Ouroboros is possibly um, one of my favourite metal albums. Uh, this is a progressive metal record. Um, so it, uh, yeah, it kind of touches on an awful lot of styles. Um, I'd say predominantly it is. Um, Quite a heavy rock sound with flourishes of, I don't know, metalcore, death a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, uh, I think it's got the kind of, whenever I think about what prog metal is, I typically think about um, intricate drum tracks, um, songs that have multiple movements to them. So they're not just like, yep. here's the song, here's the verse, here's the chorus, here's the verse, here's the chorus, here's the solo, here's the chorus, see you later. Yep, yep. Oh, it's key change, oh, how exciting. It tends to be like, you get a slower <laughs> build up to songs. Um, you find the songs are moving from your kind of three, four minute rock staples to things that are much longer. You can get into seven or eight minute movements. If you're a dream theater, mm-hmm. that's about 30 minutes, I think, is the longest of one of their yep. songs, yeah. which is the length of a Bad Religion album. 
<laughs> yeah, well, there you go. Um, so, yeah, that's generally the differences you're dealing with on the more yeah. progressive side of things. But, yeah, that's it's, just generally it, something that you're Something that takes anyway. a bit of listening. So it's a little bit more meat to it. It's not necessarily something you could casually just sit down and rock out to. It's not road trip music. Um, no, but not it at all. Is, um, something with a bit more depth that you should lie down. I don't know, maybe in a long, long coach trip. And maybe run on a bed, turn the lights off, get your favorite headphones on, chill out, glass mm. of your favorite beverage. You know, and that's 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 ideal prog metal listening conditions. <laughs> mm. And I I would also say, um, I, I you know I, I think it's not unfair to say this, but I think prog metal music, uh, prog progressive music in general, um, is definitely more album orientated yeah, yeah. over single orientated. So yeah. it's generally nicer to sit these things out from track one to where, you know wherever it finishes, um, because they're generally more of a cohesive yeah piece. and you often get concept um, albums as well um indeed, that, yeah, that yeah, is indeed. a very prog rocky thing um even from mm-hmm. you know the days of jethro tull and yes and bands like that up yep, to yep. kind of modern prog metal stuff um but yeah this is the second time we're talking about this album and and what's interesting <laughs> is that you know normally whenever we do an episode i listen to an album intensely and then this one coincided with the Daring Grey gig we went to, which we'll talk a little bit about at the end. Um, mm-hmm. But you listen to an album over and over and over, the gig's over, and then you go, okay, I'm going to listen to something else now. But I didn't. On the way home on the bus, I listened to Ouroboros <laughs> again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I, I definitely put on their latest album, Arsh, afterwards I think as well. This, so, um, or Arch. this album's actually gone up in my estimation since the last two months, so it's it's interesting to do this double take on it because I, I think yeah, I like no, it definitely. even more, and it's... I think the highest mm. compliment I could pay is that if you asked me what like my kind of top three metal albums were, I would think about this one. I wouldn't necessarily include it, but I would think about it. And that's uh, mm-hmm. that's, that's pretty good going for a band I hadn't heard of until the middle of last year. <laughs> well, that is the thing, isn't it? Um, definitely after the gig as well, because they were touring Arch, which is the um, latest record. Uh, uh, th- th- this album... <sighs> Definitely, again, it's more of a cohesive thing. Arsh definitely sort of ebbs and flows, and I was, uh, I'd was i say there are moments where it doesn't feel quite as um, well-structured in a weird way, that album. Um, well, not that there isn't good moments on it. There are some fantastic moments on it, but uh, Ouroboros, um, in, by, in comparison, is just like a, a wall-to-wall. <laughs> yeah, it's a... Um, hit, hit fest, it's a really. Sonic in, in, in the sh- And we do yeah, love yeah. Sonic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But... Uh, uh, but I guess like, you've got you've got four main important Darren Gray albums, or at least the ones I've listened to. You've got The Marrow of a Bone, mm-hmm. which is um, their yep. first move into heavier music. Then you've got Ouroboros, yep. and you've got Dumb Sparrow Spiro, or Spiro Sparrow, I can't remember which way it is. Yep. Um, and then you have Arch, which is the latest one. Um, and mm-hmm. I think any of those are a good starting point, but this is to me the the magnum opus this is when it all kind of comes together and you get that with bands no, i mean very much so if you want to talk about other prog metal bands you've got somebody like dream theater that released uh, metropolis part two which is this mm. you know amazing conceptual kind of them at their peak and then it went a bit off the deep end um and mm. things get a little bit too extreme yeah yeah it's almost like you are I don't know. It's like if you're orbiting around the sun or something, and you've just hit the the perfect point in that orbit where everything's coalesced, and you're oh 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 you're drifting out, you're going too fast. Oh no! And then it gets a little bit too. It's not quite as cohesive, like you said about Arch. Yeah, yeah. It's not as cohesive a record. I'm just rambling here. Mm. Please stop me. <laughs> it's fine. Okay, let's move okay, on. Uh, let's talk about the record then, because um, the album was originally released um, in sort of two different formats, actually. So the original Japanese release. 
is obviously a, a uh, completely Japanese record, uh, whereas even though it was released at the same time, the uh, Western release replaces two of the songs with English language versions, which um, we definitely sort of had a bit of a qualm with last time we were speaking about this, because um, I think the famous quote that you picked up on Wikipedia was that uh, Deer and Grey have sort of won their audience by not speaking English, and the English language tracks on this do feel like a bit of a copy. Yeah, um, the, um, okay, here's what I found off Wikipedia, because I've got it up again, it was, um, several yep. professional reviews have placed the use of Japanese as something that will withhold the band from mainstream popularity, but some approve of the band's consistency with their native language. Um so, uh, yes, we are two of the people that approve of the band's consistency with their native language. Mm -hmm. um, what The two tracks, one of them is Glass Skin. What is the yep. other track that has an English equivalent? Um, I'm pretty sure it's Dozing Green. Oh, okay. Oh, why would you? Why would you? So <laughs> I, made, I made kind of extensive notes in this. Now, one of the things I talked about in our first, in our first take, and I'm not going to keep referring to that because <laughs> only you and I understand it, is um, yeah, I yeah. talked a little bit about opera. I was saying that metal lyrics and metal vocalists are interpretive more than other genres, and most mm -hmm. metal lyrics are pretty rubbish. And it was when I was listening to the song Red Soil, yeah. which has English lyrics in both releases, um, I didn't realize that they were actually in English, and I don't think that the lyrics matter. And this is just the way metal is. We don't understand death growls. Um, most yeah, metal yeah. lyrics are terrible, apart from, I made two notable exceptions of Anders Frieden from In Flames, I think is good. I think Mika Lackerfeld mm -hmm. from Opeth is a good lyricist, um, mm -hmm. but similar to opera. So between take one and take two, I went to Barcelona um, and stayed there for a week. It was very nice. Thanks for asking. And we one night we <laughs> went to the opera and we had the sort of small... Uh, retinue of performers and they were doing pieces from like Don Giovanni and Faust and things like that and it was exactly mm. what I thought was that um, I was able to enjoy those opera songs and I was able to enjoy through the performance and the expression of the lyrics I knew what was going on had a rough gist of it right um, yeah, and it's yeah. exactly the same with Darren Gray lyrics you don't need to understand those lyrics you don't need to degree in Japanese to derive meaning and enjoyment for them from it. It's the same way mm -hmm. you need to speak Italian to enjoy an opera. So I was quite glad that I was vindicated yep, yep. in that original point. It is true. You can mm -hmm. you can enjoy opera. I can, but you can't, you know, to, to each their own. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, totally. I, I, and again, I'm completely in agreement with you. I think the Japanese lyrics uh, create a certain atmosphere and a certain feeling that is lost, um, unfortunately, in uh, the American... Uh, I don't want to say American. The English lyrics. You, you do not um, want to say American. <laughs> this is a British podcast. <laughs> don't know why I went for that, but there you go. Um, so, yeah. And I think as well, like, uh, you, you picked up on the English lyrics that are in both versions of Red Soil. Um, I think, again, because it's coming via a Japanese-speaking uh, voice, um, the inflection is incredibly different to what you'd normally expect. And I think that also masks the fact that um, they are English lyrics, and it, you, yeah. you just completely rise over the fact because, the, the, yeah, the way that um, uh, it's uh, Keo is the mm -hmm. main lyricist and vocalist for um, Deer and Grey um, sings is um, just absolutely incredible. Like a really, really virtuistic performance yeah. from um, I think one of my favourite 
I think probably actually my favourite metal vocalist of all time. Um, stylistically, he is very similar to Mike Patton uh, in that he uh, uses lots of different sounds and effects and has an incredibly large vocal range. He can go from pretty high, almost woman-like screams to um, a really low sort of guttural growl and everything in between. Uh, a really lovely clean vocalist as well. He's um, very good. He's very good clean vocalist. Yeah, and he's yeah. very good at, mm. as you say, that dynamic range and moving from one to the other flawlessly. It's not yeah, yeah. stilted. It's very natural. Yeah, yeah, completely. And, and I think that's, but that's probably where the English lyric suffers because they're not natural. In the same way that if I tried to sing in Japanese, which I'm not going to try, but I, uh, because I did, because <laughs> I did that last time and it was a big mistake. But um, <laughs> Japanese is a good language for this album. It's got a really natural cadence to it. And some of the songs like uh, Togoro that we probably won't talk about in much detail. Um, it's a song yeah. I really like. It's a slow paced song with a lot of groove, but it's got that. And, and Japanese puts an even stress on every syllable. So you get this kind of drum like repetition. And I really like that yeah, in yeah. Japanese. And then. <laughs> Um, I've got my, I find my English and Japanese transliterations. Um, so glass skin is one. Um, the English lyrics are, I open up my wings of glass. Now, the original Japanese is Kageki no Namida Yori, which means emptier still than any tears of comedy, which is a lot more interesting, isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah, completely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the English version feels really forced. It's like me writing a song in German. I know what the words mean, but the poetry's gone and the sentiment has changed. Mm-hmm. Um, I also wrote they better play this in Japanese at the gig and actually they didn't play it at all so, uh, so <laughs> yeah, well, dodge there you that go. bullet eh? <laughs> we actually only got one song of Ouroboros in the end at the gig uh, we got Red Soil um, which Bastards. don't get me wrong one of my favourite songs of the album so I'm glad to have at least heard something um, but yeah um, it's let's, let's let's talk about this in a little bit of a structured way okay. so um, why not the album begins <laughs> since yeah, we're mixing the things begins, up this time <laughs> the album begins with uh, Sabir, which is essentially an introduction track, um, very sort of creepy, almost horror-esque song that sounds like something is foreboding in the distance, sort of creeping in. Yeah. Um, and that is um, altered for some reason on the remastered and expanded version to be a, an awful lot longer. It starts with um, sort of the sounds of clocks and chimes and yeah. things and creates a bit more atmosphere and uh, um, generally goes on, I don't know, I don't know whether it needs to go on longer. Um, the Mongolian yeah. fruit singing coming in. And stuff yeah, like yeah, there's uh, lots yeah. of weird effects to it. But basically they set up a really dark atmosphere for the record and um, it, yeah, it's a... It's quite a strong opening, actually, considering it is essentially just an introduction. Um, then things lead into Vanushka, which I think is an absolute masterpiece. It's a banger. Uh, it's a banger. Half, yeah. Nine and a half minutes long. Lots of um, really interesting movements. It really... A, a gorgeous ebb and flow through this song. Um, it, it sort of starts off very sort of gentle and quiet and, and builds itself up to a big crescendo and then sort of dips away again and yeah. you know spends a little bit of time so it's just it's, a lovely it's lovely really like dramatic song. and atmospheric 
you've got a nice proggy opening mm. and then it goes into this furious breakdown after the first chorus and it's it's, oh, it's yeah, like yeah. the whole album in microcosm and if somebody asks very you, much so yeah um what uh what what's prog metal what's all about you just sit them down mm-hmm. headphones on listen to vanushka and then when they finished go yep any questions and they'll say what the hell was that but um it's an epic <laughs> song and there's a lot to love And I guess if you're, if you're mm. not feeling it by the end of this song, then the rest of the album is probably going to be a bit of a slog. But you should enjoy it because it's a good song. And we're right and you're, mm. you're wrong. <laughs> nobody's right and nobody's wrong, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> I want to stress that. You can like whatever the oh. hell you want. <laughs> as long as it, you can like whatever um, you want as but, long as it's this. <laughs> no, bad. Bad, Alan. Um, right. But yes, that is Vinushka. That is, a, a, you know, a really good example of what Deer and Grey can mm-hmm. do. Um, uh, it, it very much sort of sums the band up, and you know what they're about in, in you know, <laughs> in a single song. And it's a strange one as well because what with it being, you know, getting on for ten minutes, it doesn't feel like it's getting on for ten minutes. It really does um, keep your interest for the entire time. It doesn't feel like it sags at any given point. A really good song. Yeah, um, but yeah, some other highlights. Um, I mean, the track that follows it, Red Soil, which we just did talk about earlier on, is um, pretty much uh, your sort of pop deer and grey, I suppose, in a weird way, in that it's more of a, uh, it's a three and a half minute track, and a little bit more condensed. It's still medley. Um, it's still medley. More, yeah, oh, definitely. But follows more of a traditional yeah. song structure as as opposed to a progressive one. And, though, and, you know, those songs do crop up throughout the album. Um, I mean... Glass Skin, in, in, in particular, is actually a very good example of that. While it is an amazingly beautiful and ethereal track with this lovely piano that runs through it, um, it is very much structured as, you know, a pop song. There is a chorus, a verse, a chorus, you know, it's, um, you know, and a bridge and things. It's just very traditional in its structure, but my word, is that a gorgeous song. Oh, it, it's, absolutely it's lovely. Beauty. It was the one that got me into it. I think you sent mm-hmm. me a link to it and said, get a load of this, basically. Think, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, um, oh, I love you. You're great. Yeah, um, yeah one, one thing that one thing that's ruined in the re-recording is we can't guess each other's favorite songs. So Lewis already knows that my favorite yeah. song is Glass Skin. But I was, but I would be tempted <laughs> to to mix it up just to make you doubt your own memories. Um, but anyway, it's my favorite track on it. Um, there's a lot to love in this, and there's very few songs I would skip on it, which is unusual for me. But it's a really, really oh, beautiful song. Really beautiful yeah. piano, lovely guitar as well. It kind of slinks about a bit it's not it's not as yeah. foremost in the mix compared to the the drums and the piano and the the guitars there in the background uh, really just harmonizing mm. with the vocals it's really really beautiful and i think from the moment i first heard that song i knew it was going to be my my favorite during gray song or at least a, a very high benchmark um yeah, one of the other yeah. songs we should talk about since we've mentioned Q's vocals is um dokiko which is a song after red soil um dokiko to yep. it's got a it's worth listening to just because the singing at the end is so good. So I love Kyo singing at the end of Dokuko and you can really feel the emotion and the tension building throughout the song. And to mm-hmm. re-emphasize, you do not need to understand Japanese, to understand he's singing his lungs out. 
Um, yep. But yeah, there is definitely some heart on sleeve moments on this record. Oh, it's absolutely. got to be said. Um, and I do like the fact as well um, that he he definitely favours um, in crescendos and things like that. He he sort of uh, goes in. T- he goes up an octave mm-hmm. instead of going like instead of key change, um, which just just gives it a little bit more impact. You know, he sounds a lot more aggressive and like he cares. And you know, that's one of the things I really um, value in music is uh, performances that sound like <laughs> the, the the people yeah. behind it actually care I think about the he's music. He's also got the vocal um, range to do that. I mean, the only other people I could think of that could pull off an entire an entire octave jump like that would be people like uh, Willow Willow. Um, or yeah, um, yeah. possibly somebody like you know Bruce Dickinson or Rob Halford could probably do it, but um, I think mm. Hughes got a good enough set of pipes to pull that off, and he's really yeah, playing yeah. to his strengths. Oh, definitely. Um, and also, while we're talking about favorite tracks, um, I'd like to bring up Roketsu Nero Siba, mm. uh, which like, is track like, like eight the original like, version. You hardly ever talk about it. I do. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I'm sure Alan's completely sick to death of this by now, but Roketsu is actually one of the heavier songs on the record. Um, I do like me a bit of uh, <laughs> the loud. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one as well because there's a really sort of a ethereal slow breakdown where it becomes i, I want to say very eastern in its sound yes. um very traditionally japanese it's got you know these lovely sort of flourishes of like yeah, chimes I mean, and you, stuff are happening you never really things. know and, what's going to happen next and, in this album But oh, completely, at the same yeah. time, there's all this drive, metallic crunch, a bit of anger and passion. There's also a lot of musical consistency mm-hmm. to it. And, and yeah, so you're yeah. getting a lot of variation, but you're not like, what the heck's that track doing there? You know, it, it's got a lovely consistency. Yeah, um, yeah. Reiketsu, to me, is if Glass Skin is Darren Gray doing a bit of him, this is them doing a bit of sixth. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's probably why you like it so much. There you go. But I, but I like it too. But yeah, um, the only uh, the only other things I'd like to pick up on are the track that follows it is uh, Wariyami Tote, which is another a long track on the album. This is yeah. a seven minute, and um, I suppose it's um, almost like a bit of a blend of Vinushka and Glasskin in that it's a very delicate, almost acoustic yeah, style. I mean, this song's it. more um, of a ballad than um, than a, a yeah. an epic epic prog metal song. This is yeah, yeah. much um, more of. don't get as many movements in this one um but as it progresses again lovely lovely crescendo um a, a big um octave change at the end and just a gorgeous gorgeous song um if you want some uh, additional uh viewing after this um i would highly recommend uh going and finding the um version of this that was performed at the budokan for the ouroboros tour um because they opened the show with it and um it's a really uh, atmospheric and really sort of beautiful performance because it's it's very much um, a musician's performance. There's there's not really as much of a theatrical element to it, it as as much as it is you watching a very good strong set of musicians perform their absolute heart out. Um, a really really interesting one. And they sort of uh, they 
they they perform behind like a screen at the start, so okay. um, you can sort of like see shadow their, puppets. Yeah, you can see their silhouettes to begin with, and then as the light on the stage is um, is brought in, the the screen is actually um, transparent, and then it, um. you slowly you slowly reveal the band as the song goes on. It's really a really interesting way of dealing with it because obviously, yeah, that's more of a musician's song than a um, the, you know a theatrical performance song. Yeah, that, uh, that a hard a hard rock banger. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, whenever you said further viewing, I had this vision of somebody just staring at their mobile phone while the podcast was playing, going, where, where, where's all the video? At? My, I think my phone's broken. <laughs> but yes, yeah, no, that viewing was uh, correct. I was not saying the wrong word when I should have said listening. Yeah, I, I, you caught me off guard, but you brought yeah, yeah, me back. Yeah. There you go, there you go. Um, but yeah, and then the only other song I really like to talk about in any sort of depth is "Dozing Green" because it's one of the singles as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is more of a uh, more of a rock song than a than, than a yeah, metal song. You yeah, know, it's absolutely. very sort of uh, anthemic, and a, you know, a nice big riff to it, and a big chorus as well. Um, just a real highlight as well. A really good. You know, this is bringing itself to the end now. I think this is the penultimate track. Um, and to have, you know, again, like to have this album ebb and flow in such a way that you're still getting such fantastically hooky songs at this, yeah, the, at this late in the game is It's is very really... hemi again. It's another, mm, yeah, it's another yeah. hemi, hemi kind of hook. I mean, they're um, always gonna, um, there's always going to be a comparison there because there's a very much of a goth element to the both bands. But yeah. yeah. But um, um, like e- another easily one of the best songs in the album um, makes you wait a little while to get there. Um, a lot of good dynamic bits where it cuts out just before the chorus and then it explodes into it. Yeah, yeah. Just, just very, very strong. I mean, one of the things is um, that normally we do do a, a, a blow by blow, and it's almost you know it, it's kind of a shame that we don't get to do that for this one because most of the tracks are really excellent, and really worthy. Of oh discussion. yeah, I can't stress um, that enough. This needs to be listened to yeah. as an album. Do, do if you've got to this point and you've thought, hmm, maybe I should be listening to this, I would recommend you go back and do that. In fact, yeah. just, just blow away the memories of this podcast, listen to the <laughs> whole album, and then um, listen to this again. Because um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it just, it, it's a really beloved album, and it, it won me over so quickly. It was yeah, yeah. really very and much my cup of tea. Even even the last track's good, which oh, is, yeah, is completely. In, inconvenient ideal. Really great singing, one of the best choruses in the album. It ends with a bang, but... It's an appropriate restrained level of bang for such yeah, yeah. a, a and long and, and varied album. Yeah, and thematically as well, it feels a little bit more like a, it gives you some sort of hope as well. It's a, it's a lovely way to end the record because so much of it is very sort of, you know, dark and deprived. And then you get these odd flourishes of sort of like uh, moroseness, I suppose is the word. <laughs> <laughs> and then this love, this last track is just a really lovely sort of like, oh, you know. Fills me with hope. Fills me. It's, it's got some nice. Life's not nice, too bad. Yeah, yeah. It's got. It's got a bit, a bit of a positive kick to that one. Um, okay. So, yes. so why don't we talk about? Um, so there are. There's. 
not just two versions of this in terms of alternate lyric editions. There's yeah. two releases. Um, there's the original and then there's the remastered and expanded. Um, if you want a immediate response, I would just listen to the remastered one. Um, yeah, yeah. If you are Lewis Levels of Hardcore and you've got your Duran Grey boxer shorts on <laughs> and your collection of vinyl behind you, um, you might want to try both and compare the two. Yeah, um, I mean... It's an interesting one, actually, because I do really like the remastered and expanded version. Um, the mix is quite... Um, it's definitely noticeably different. Um, there's more of a sort of... Uh, there's less... It's, it sounds like you're, more, you're in a room with the band instead of a hall. Um, there's less reverb to it in, mm-hmm. in general, and uh, the drums definitely have a little bit more of a finiteness to them, whereas the original version is, you know... <sighs> The drummer hits the snare and you can hear it reverberate across the room for ages. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's... I am not a big fan of mega reverb unless it Mm. is the the police. (laughs) 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 Um, Because it's uh, a regatta de de blanc or whatever it is. It's um, It's got some serious reverb on the drum kit, but I just think it works really well for that album and that kind of clicky clacky snappy clean sound to it um, yeah, yeah. for this kind of album i just generally prefer the remastered mix yeah yeah i mean i think there there is essentially a mix for everybody in this in this in this regard <laughs> there's, because, a, there's, a, there's a mix for all sorts <laughs> yeah yeah because i think it, to some degrees i do really like the reverb i think it does add give it some uh some atmosphere it's nice to, to hear a band sound quite huge in a strange way you know mm-hmm. it really does make the thing sound a little bit more grand but um the remastered version uh, for all intensive purposes is a fantastic mix as well um it, it just feels like everything's a little bit closer to you <laughs> it's really sort of intense uh, you know um not intense um intimate is the word i want to go for um That's but yeah like a, up, up close and intimate and, yeah, and also definitely. this is a, a good mix of an album oh totally completely um <laughs> But yeah, um, I mean, the main differences are, we've already spoke about the fact that Sabir is uh, longer on the remastered mm-hmm. expanded version. I think it's a good couple of minutes longer, actually. Yeah. Um, but there are some additional songs that have been uh, flourished, I suppose, in the months there. Um, so Garnished. F- Garnished. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so the first appearance is uh, Hydra 666, which comes in at track 10. Um, that was originally released on the band's first or second album, actually, and it's actually a re-recording of the song um, in their sort of a new style, I suppose, because the band's sound has uh, progressed quite heavily since the uh, the earlier records. Um, hence the 666 edition at the end. Um, it's not just a uh, <laughs> nod to Satan. It is actually just to, to uh, <laughs> differentiate the two versions. It's not your um, father's Hydra. Yeah, there you go. Um, it's a good song. I do like it a lot, but there is it's more of an atmospheric track. There isn't as many hooks to it. It definitely um, its it creates more of an interesting sort of gothy atmosphere, I suppose. It's quite a dark track. Um, not, as, not as instantly catchy um, as some of the, rest, the other stuff on the record, but definitely an interesting inclusion. All right, but it's a bit of a bit of a skipper. Yeah, that's the thing. That's that, that is a little bit of the thing that sort of uh, drags the remastered version down for me a little bit because even though I do love the mix, some of these additions just don't feel necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other big one is uh, there is a sort of an introduction to Bugaboo now called Bugaboo Respira, 
and it is essentially just Keo in the recording booth, sort of humming to himself in a weird way and sort of tapping the, like the desk. It sounds like. Um, <laughs> Again, sort of there to just create a bit of atmosphere, but highly unnecessary, I think. Um, the song it, the, itself, Bugaboo, is actually a very creepy sort of foreboding track anyway, yeah. like that way it sort of comes in with that really sort of glassy guitar, which I really like. Um, it's just, yeah, a really interesting little track. But I yeah. Just, yeah, why, why did they re-include that? Oh, Keo, Keo. Keel, your mic's on, mate. Stop coming. Your mic's on. That's okay. Well, we'll cut this later. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's again, it's it's not it's not much in the way of in, in, in additions, but it just feels a little bit unnecessary when the record was just such a flawless run from start to finish to begin with. Just to add these little things, just for the sake of it, just feel a little bit sort of haphazard, I suppose, is what I'm going for. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it's, it's but, like a, it's like an expanded game of the year edition, and they've put in far too much extra content yeah yeah i mean it's if you're a fan of the band more is certainly more no bad thing <laughs> whatsoever but um it's just when you think about the running order and you know the original uh mix of the album it's just it why muck around with perfection <laughs> Ab- abs- absolutely absolutely <laughs> but, but hey it was your choice to get that haircut and um, you know, you'll have to live with the consequences it'll grow back yeah, that is a very good point. Um, but yeah, there you go. That is Ouroboros by Deer and Grey. Um, a rather fantastic prog metal record. Um, if you would like to do some further listening in this genre, I would highly recommend um, an album called Metazoa by an American band called Cormorant. Um, also in a very sort of similar progressive metal mould. Um, I'd say um, it touches a little bit more on the Scandinavian side of things. So if you like your In Flames as well, it's definitely worth listening to because... Um, the vocal style in particular definitely reminds me of Anders Frieden. Um, for better or worse? Definitely for better. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, just, to, just to clarify, I think he's a very good lyricist. I don't necessarily think he's the best vocalist. <laughs> um, it, it depends on how you like your metal vocals, to be honest with you. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of Screamers, so um, Anders totally uh, hits the nail for me. Um, but yeah, if you're a fan of singers, then um, there isn't as much. Uh, <laughs> if you're a fan of melody, critters, there's yeah. always Engelbert Humperdinck. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't as much melody to Anders' voice, so yeah. So there you go. <laughs> and uh, Alan, what did you have to recommend? Um, I thought if you wanted to go down the the prog metal track, as I think you should, because I'm a you know big big fan of the genre. Um, uh, there's lots of bands on offer. You could have uh, who's good. You could Dream Theater, Devin Townsend Project, Tool. Um, I'm going to recommend um, Dream Theater's Octavarium, which is not my favorite Dream Theater album, but I think it's a particularly accessible one. Mm. Um, it's also have a similar compositional style to Uroboros. Now, Octavarium is an eight-track album that loops back on itself. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, so Uroboros, that snake eating itself, looks back. Yep, yep, see, yep. See, see ah, what there, there. Yeah, see very what clever. There. But um, again, it's got a, a lot of varied styles. It's got a ballad that sounds a bit like a, something you 2 would record. Um, and, then you've got, <laughs> and then you've got some extremely heavy tracks, um, like uh, Panic Attack, which is one of their most famously noodly-oodly bass lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's a really good introduction to the band and another really good introduction to prog metal that has the... Just the right level of heaviness mixed with cheesiness that makes yeah, uh, yeah. the perfect prog metal album. That's one thing about this. Um, 
Ouroboros and During Grey stuff doesn't have um, that cheese that you often get with American yeah, yeah, prog metal no. bands. Like your Dream Theaters, Queensryche, Fate's Warning, this kind of bands. No, um, it's very much uh, what you get is what you, you, yeah, know, what you get. It's very face stupid, value in a weird yeah. way. Um, so yeah, no, a, a very, very good record. Um, nice to finally find a record that we both agree on <laughs> as well. I like, I enjoy that. I'm sure, um, I'm sure there will be more. <laughs> but yeah, uh, yep. if there aren't, what a beautiful moment this was. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, a fantastic record. Uh, let's talk about the gig, because okay. um, we didn't get to obviously do that last time. Um, and I should stop talking about last time, because nobody's going to hear that. But um, yeah, so we went to go and see Deer and Grey on the Arch Tour. And um, this is actually the first time I've ever seen Deer and Grey. I mean, despite being one of my favourite bands, I thought it was about time I ticked them off the bucket list. And um, <laughs> it was a bit of a strange gig, because I understand that when you're writing new music, you obviously want to play said new music. But when you have, you know, close to like, I think they've got like nine records under their belt now, mm-hmm. eight or nine. And with that amount of discography <clears throat> behind you, you'd, love, you'd like to see a little bit more of a diverse sort of, you know, touch upon lots of things. Um, whereas yeah. um, it was a, a very, they, they pretty much played Arch in full. Um, and more, we got a three less, song... Yeah. Um, What's the word? Encore. Encore. Thank you. Um, which was, you know, nice. At least we got some uh, some stuff from different records. But it would have just been nice to have heard, heard a little bit more of a, a cross section of the band stuff because they are a very very diverse band. Mm. Um, and from all the live DVDs and things I've got of the band, they they ha- they're not a- adverse to playing stuff from earlier records and sort of putting their new spin on it. Um, which we kind of did get as well because we got um, one of the tracks off Wither Into Death and they definitely played it like one of the heaviest versions I've ever heard of it. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the song now. I'm going to quickly look that up. Uh, okay. Uh, so I also in- enjoyed the gig. The, the support act were dreadful though. Yeah, that was a bit of a strange <laughs> well, they, choice. Well, the Rise of the North Star. That was the and, one. And I felt like we'd been in this uh, turn of the millennium new metal gig and this guy was <laughs> getting us to put our middle fingers in the air. And, yeah. Uh, Having said that, I'm looking at your Skype avatar, and it is you giving the fingers. Um, <laughs> so you were up for it, but I, I, I felt a wee bit uncomfortable. You know, no, I, I wasn't feeling it at all. To be honest with you, uh, Rise of the North Star were pretty much booked because of their Japanese um, sort of image, I suppose. But they're not Japanese; they're, they're French. French. Yeah, strange. <laughs> um, but they're more of a metalcore band, very much a one core, one chord breakdown thing going on all the time. But they were really bad metalcore. It wasn't even, yeah. it wasn't even good metalcore. It just didn't fit the, the the style of the show at all, which was a shame because they, uh, this was we actually went to the first night of a two night sort of residency at the Islington Academy, mm-hmm. and the second night uh, a band called Outside the Coma were playing, uh, who are Mikey Goodman's new band, and uh, you know as you can imagine a little bit more progressive as you so I would have thought that would have fitted things a little bit better. But you must, be, you must be raging. <laughs> to be honest with you, um, I'm not too bothered at the moment. I haven't heard okay. enough. Um, of their stuff to really sort of make a, a full judgment yet, but they're, they're, you know the, the couple of songs I've heard are interesting. Let's put it that way. You got any good got any good gigs coming up for later in the year? Um, I don't. I haven't got anything booked at the moment. To be honest with you, uh, I really. I'm re- yeah, I know. I'm really um, kicking myself that I didn't book tickets for Corn that uh, recently happened because they were playing oh. their debut album in full. Oh wow. Yeah, and uh, that's that's a damn good record in anybody's book. I'm for, uh, like, whatever you think about Corn, that debut is one of the defining albums of new metal. I don't, I don't um, think a lot about Corn that I can express in a clean podcast, but I would definitely give it another <laughs> go. Um, yeah, yeah. What what's the name of their debut album? It is a self-titled album, so oh, it's just Corn. Yeah, <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet Corn. 
Um, <laughs> I've got loads of gigs lined up. Um, 5th of August, I've got Neabla Viscaris in London, which is pretty exciting because they're quite niche and Australian, so I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting to see them. Yep. I've got Bad Religion on the 8th of August. That'll be my oh, third, third BR gig. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a Bullet from a Valentine at the end of September. Um, mm-hmm. Day before my birthday, I'm going to see um, Abath in London, who is the singer from Immortal. Um, so good, good, good mix of uh, yeah, yeah. Good mix keeping of it, keeping it nice and diverse instead of just me just going to punk gigs all the time. But there you I go. Know, you're, you're so <laughs> you're so narrow minded. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. Like it's okay. We're here in this podcast, and you know we'll we'll get your palate a bit diversified. We just need, just need to hold out for a few more months. Hey, um, I, I've got a diverse palate. I'm, I listen- uh, like, I'm, I'm only winding you up. Oh, I've, got, I've got another gig. I've got. I'm going to see Leprous in October in London, oh, and I love go. the the new Leprous album. That's a oh, good. There is, yeah, yeah. No, there's a good, if you want something proggy, but not medley at all, uh, it's called The Congregation. It's a new Leprous album. It's one of my favorites of the year so far. Mm. Did you find out what the song of Withering to Death was yet? Um, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Saku or Merciless Cult. I can't remember which one it was, but yeah, it's uh, early on. I need to I need to listen to the tracks again because it's it's trying to reference them. It's just a pain in the ass. Um, I can't remember if it was Have a Nice Day or Violently Murdered in Your Sleep, but it was yeah, one yeah. of those two. <laughs> so so that so that's us. Yeah, we are, we are done, and you will hear from us again in what will actually be two weeks to us, um, but it'll sound like two seconds, thanks to the magic <laughs> of audio editing. Indeed, um, and so yeah, you'll join us again, please, because we're going to be talking about baby metal. Oh no, you give the game away, and oh, no, wait, people will know that's going to happen, because it's directly tuned <laughs> this. Okay, yep, stay with us, it's baby metal, it sounds like it's going to be bad, it's going to be good, stay with us. Stay with us.